the language in James Joyce's book, Ulysses, has got a reputation. And the reputation doesn't attract people to reading the book. The vast majority of people who come across what is written about Ulysses say to themselves, well, I, I won't bother trying that. And my good friend Zake in Switzerland has already sent me a comment during the month of Audio Mo telling me that it is difficult language. So I'm going to read a bit more from the very end of page. Well, it's page 10 in this particular book, but it's really page two of the, the whole thing. So here we go. Buck Mulligan frowned at the lather on his razor blade. Well, that's not difficult, is it? Buck Mulligan frowned at the lather on his razor blade. It is, actually, if you haven't come across, if you don't know what lather is, and, you've, and you don't know what a razor blade is, because you belong to a different generation from James Joyce, and you have to go and look up and see what the word lather means. He hopped down from his perch and began to search his trouser pockets hastily. Scutter, he cried thickly. Now, scutter is a kind of a minor swear word. But, you know, if you don't know what it is, you might think it was, this is going to be a really slow read. And you know what? The more I think about it, the more Ulysses is a slow read, and deservedly so. I'm not going to explain any more words now. Scutter, he cried thickly. He came over to the gun rest and thrusting a hand into Stephen's upper pocket said, Lend us a loan of your nose rag to wipe my razor. Lend us a loan of your nose rag to wipe my razor. Stephen suffered him to pull out and hold up on show by its corner, a dirty, crumpled handkerchief. Buck Mulligan wiped the razor blade neatly. Then, gazing over the handkerchief, he said, The bard's nose rag. A new art colour for our Irish poets. Snot green. You can almost taste it, can't you? Snot green. You can almost taste it, can't you? He mounted to the parapet again and gazed out over Dublin Bay, his fair oak pale hair stirring slightly. God, he said quietly, isn't the sea what Algy calls it? A grey, sweet mother? The snot-green sea, the scrotum-tightening sea. Epi- Oinopa Ponton. Ah, Daedalus the Greeks, I must teach you. You must read them in the original. Thalata, Thalata, she is our great sweet mother. Come and look. Stephen stood up and went over to the parapet. Leaning on it, he looked down on the water and on the mailboat clearing the harbour mouth of Kingstown. I tell you that Kingstown is today called Dunleary. It's where the boat goes to North Wales. Our mighty mother, Buck Mulligan said. He turned abruptly, his great searching eyes from the sea 
to Stephen's face. The aunt thinks you killed your mother, he said. That's why she won't let me have anything to do with you. Someone killed her, Stephen said gloomily. Could have knelt down, damn it, Kinch. When your dying mother asked you, Buck Mulligan said, I'm hyperborean as much as you, but to think of your mother begging you with her last breath to kneel down and pray for her, and you refused? There is something sinister in you. He broke off and lathered again lightly. His father cheek. A tolerant smile curled his lips. But a lovely murmur, he murmured to himself, Kidge, the loveliest murmur of them all. He shaved evenly and with care, in silence, seriously. Stephen and Elbow rested on a jagged, on the jagged granite, leaned his palm against his brow and gazed at the fraying edge of his shiny black coat sleeve. Pain, that was not yet the pain of love, fretted his heart. Silently in a dream she had come to him after her death, her wasted body within its loose brown grave clothes, giving off an odour of wax and rosewood, her breath that had bent upon him mute, reproachful, a faint odour of wetted ashes. Across the threadbare cuff edge, he saw the sea hailed as a great sweet mother by the well-fed voice beside him. The ring of bay and skyline held a dull green mass of liquid. A bowl of white china had stood beside her deathbed, holding the green sluggish bile which she had torn up from her rotting liver by fits of loud groaning vomiting. Buck Mulligan wiped again his razor blade. Ah, poor dog's body, he said in a kind voice. I must give you a shirt and a few nose rags. How are the second-hand breeks? How are the second-hand breeks? Might mean breeches. Not sure what breeks means myself. They fit well enough, Stephen answered. Buck Mulligan attacked the hollow beneath his under lip. The mockery of it, he said contentedly. Second leg they should be. God knows what poxy bowsy left them off. I have a lovely pair with a hair stripe, grey. You look spliffing in them. I'm not joking, Kinch. You look damn well when you're dressed. Thanks, Stephen said. I can't wear them if they are grey. He can't wear them, Buck Mulligan told his face in the mirror. Etiquette is etiquette. He kills his mother but he can't wear grey trousers. He folded his razor neatly and with stroking palps of fingers felt the smooth skin. Stephen turned his gaze from the sea and to the plump face with its smoke-blue mobile eyes. 
That fellow I was with in the ship last night, said Buck Mulligan, says you have GPI. He's up in Dottyville with Connolly Norman, General Paralysis of the Insane. General Paralysis of the Insane. That's me, by the way, repeating that. GPI, General Paralysis of the Insane. He swept the mirror a half circle in the air to flash the tidings abroad in sunlight, now radiant on the sea. His curling shaven lips laughed and the edge of his white glittering teeth. Laughter seized all his strong, well-knit trunk. Look at yourself, he said, you dreadful bard. Stephen bent forward and peered at the mirror held out to him. Cleft by a crooked crack, hair on end. And as he and others see me, no, as he and others see me, who chose this face for me, this dog's body to rid of vermin, it asks me to. I pinched it out of the skivvy's room, Buck Mulligan said. It does her all right. The aunt always kept pains looking, plain looking servants for Malachi. Led him, lead him not into temptation. And her name is Ursula. Laughing again, he brought the mirror away from Stephen's peering eyes. The rage of Caliban at not seeing his face in a mirror, he said. If Wilde were only alive to see you. Drawing back and pointing, Stephen said with bitterness, It is a symbol of Irish art, the cracked looking glass of a servant. Buck Mulligan suddenly linked his arm to Stephen's and walked with him round the tower his razor and mirror clacking in the pocket where he had thrust them. It's not fair to tease you like that, Kinch, is it? He said kindly. God knows you have more spirit than any of them. Parried again, he fears the lancet of my art, as I fear that of his, the cold steel pen. Cracked looking glass of a servant, tell that to the oxy chap downstairs and touch him for a guinea he's stinking with money and thinks you're not a gentleman his old fellow made his tin by selling jalap to zulus or some bloody swindle or other god kinch if you and i could only work together we might do something for the island helena is it cranley's arm his arm and to think of your having to beg from these swine. I'm the only one that knows what you are. Why don't you trust me more? What have you up your nose against me? Is it Haynes? If he makes any noise here, I'll bring down Seymour and we'll give him a ragging worse than they gave Clive Klepthorpe. Young shouts of moneyed voices in Clive Kleptark's rooms. Pale faces, 
They hold their ribs with laughter, one clasping another. Oh, I shall expire. Break the news to her gently, Aubrey. I shall die. With slit ribbons of his shirt, whipping the air, he hops and hobbles round the table with trousers down at heels. Chased by aides of Magdalen with the tailor's shears. A scared calf's face gilded with marmalade. It might be a scarred calf's face gilded with marmalade. I don't want to be debagged. Don't you play the giddy ox with me? Shouts from the open window. Startling evening in the quadrangle. A deaf gardener. A prone masked with Matthew Arnold's face, pushes his mower on the sombre lawn, watching narrowly the dancing motes of grass halms. To ourselves, new paganism. Omphalos. Let him stay, Stephen said. There's nothing wrong with him except at night. Then... What is this? Buck Mulligan asked impatiently. Cough it up. I'm quite frank with you. What have you against me now? They halted, looking towards the blunt cape of Brayhead that lay on the water like the snout of a sleeping whale. Stephen freed his arm quietly. Do you wish me to tell you? He asked. Yes. What is it? Buck Mulligan answered. I don't remember anything. He looked in Stephen's face as he spoke. A light wind passed his brow, fanning softly his fair, uncombed hair and stirring silver points of anxiety in his eyes. Stephen, depressed by his own voice, said, Do you remember the first day I went to your house after my mother's death? Buck Mulligan frowned quickly and said, What? Where? I can't remember anything. I remember only ideas and sensations. Why, what happened in the name of God? You were making tea, Stephen said, and I went across the landing to get more hot water. Your mother and some visitor came out of the drawing room. She asked you who was in your room. Yes, Buck Mulligan said. What did I say? I forget. You, said Stephen. You said, Stephen answered. Oh, it's only Daedalus whose mother is beastly dead. A flush which made him seem younger and more engaging rose to Buck Mulligan's cheek. Did I say that? he asked. Well, what harm is that? He shook his constraint from him nervously. And what is death? He asked. Your mother's or yours or my own? You saw only your mother die. I see them pop off every day in the matter and Richmond and cut up into tripes in the dissecting room. It's a beastly thing and nothing else. It simply doesn't matter. You wouldn't kneel down to pray for your mother on her deathbed when she asked you. Why? Because you have the cursed Jesuit strain in you. 
only it's injected the wrong way. To me, it's all a mockery and beastly. Her cerebral lobes are not functioning. She calls the doctor, St. Peter, teasel, and picks buttercups off the quilt. Humour her till it's over. You crossed her last wish in death, and yet you sulk with me because I don't whinge like some hired mute from Lalouette's. Absurd. I suppose I did say it. I didn't mean to offend the memory of your mother. He had spoken himself into boldness, Stephen, shielding the gaping wounds which the words had left in his heart. Stephen said very coldly, I'm not thinking of the offence to my mother. Of what then? Buck Mulligan asked. Of the offence to me? Stephen answered. Buck Mulligan swung round on his heel. Oh, an impossible person, he exclaimed. And I'm going to stop there. Isn't that delightful? Even if you, there are a few words here and there. The detail. The colours. The, the, the way in which the writer puts in the tone of voice with which the words are to be read. The scattering all over the writing of references to people who the reader may or may not know. I guess that's why it's such a slow read, because if you have to stop yourself and say to yourself, what is the, what is the Richmond and what is the matter? And you don't know Dublin and you don't know that they're hospitals, then it is difficult, isn't it?